Welcome to the podcast of Mosaic Church, celebrating diversity within community. John 12, thank you. I did that done it twice already. John 12. Romans 12 is like really sticking in my brain, apparently. John 12. It's not an unfamiliar story. This is a story about... Um, Mary and Martha and a party they're having at their house. And it's probably not the one that initially pops into your brain. If you've already looked down at your scripture, you probably realize, oh, this is not the one that popped into my brain. Uh, we will talk about that one. But um, what we want to talk about this morning is one thing we brought up last week. The wor- worship really means to give worth, worth-ship, uh, to give worth to something. And we do that every day, all day long. So if you don't believe me, uh, think of all the things you're willing to do without to get something, right? Uh, I particular, I uh, would be willing to give up apple picking to watch football. Uh, I give more worth to football than to going into an orchard and picking apples off a tree. Uh, that's just me. Although I give more worth to my family, so I do give up that time. And uh, my wife has found time uh, to say, hey, let's compromise this thing and let's go on Labor Day. It's a Monday during the day. There's no apples are ripe and there's no football. And so we've, we have, a, as a family now, figured out how to compromise with that. But there was a time where I was like, yeah, well, let's just do it. It's not at all what I do. And Natalie would always thank me. I know you didn't want to do that. It's like, I want to spend time with my family. It has nothing to do with, no, I did not want to pick an apple off a tree, but I did, did I want to spend the day with my family. Absolutely. Um, so I gave more worth to that uh, than... I did. Uh, then I then, um, spent time with family than I would sitting in front of a TV watching some football game I care nothing about. Even if I cared about it, I would rather spend time with family. Um, and so the best days are those days when I can do both um, for me. Uh, but thinking about, uh, so we have a friend, uh, Tom Conlon. At some point in his 20s, he looked and he gave more value to his calling as a musician than he did as his corporate career working for IBM. If you can picture Tom, Tom used to work for IBM, playing golf and doing the whole thing, the whole corporate thing in New York City, uh, and he wanted to be a musician, and so he gave more worth to that, more value to that, uh, and he was willing to give up a lot for that, and spend time, uh, the better part of his life, living in a van, traveling around, playing music for people. Um, so artists understand that. Uh, you may have experienced that on the, on the negative end. You know, you may have had a parent or known a friend who gave more worth and value to their job than they did to their family um, and were willing to do more for that than they were for anything else. And so but that was a value statement they gave. One of, the most, one of the things I enjoy most about my job outside of here is I enjoy... Um, this sounds weird, I know, but I enjoy, I enjoy life insurance. I sell life insurance. I don't do it a lot. In fact, my bosses are telling me I do need to do more of it, but I enjoy that like because I, I've seen the value in that. I've seen, I won't go through all the stories, but I've seen stories where families were, um, were able to mourn with ease, and I've seen stories where it was a really tough situation because I didn't. So I enjoy that. But then I have people tell me all day long, well, I can't, I know I need it. I got two small kids. I got a mortgage. I got a wife that stays at home with them. I can't afford it, though. And they're sitting there with a $1,000 phone in their hand 
telling me they can't afford, you know, it's what it, you can. It's what do we give value to? So we, we all understand this. Every day, all day long, we are choosing and we're giving value to stuff. And we're going to read this story um, in John 12. It talks about that. One of the more interesting things is I think uh, a friend of mine bought a hybrid. And um, it wasn't one of the plug-in cars. It was just actually a hybrid. It's part engine, part electric, part gas motor. And he said, you know, I, I ran the numbers on this, and I'm not saving the amount of money that I wanted. He said, but I ran the numbers before I bought it. So for him to consume less and the ec- ecological effects of that, he put more value on than he did necessarily what he was you know, the, the, the savings that he could have had. He said, I'm willing to pay more. I'm willing to pay a premium for that. Um, so everything that we do is a value decision. And we ascribe worth to everything that we do. Uh, and so we're going to look at some worth statements and some value statements that happen in John 12, okay? Uh, so let's, let's read it, and then we'll talk a little bit about it. So this is a quick story. We're going to just read the first uh, eight verses. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came. Now, let's just put this in proper perspective. What happened on Passover? Jesus, Jesus shared that meal with his disciples, and then they go into a garden and pray. And then some hours after Passover, Jesus was arrested, began the trial, and headed towards the cross, right? So this is six days before then. This is within a week of Jesus being crucified. Uh, He came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Martha served while Lazarus was was among him, was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So as we, as we look at this, let's pray real quick. Uh, God, would you give us uh, wisdom from your scriptures? Uh, Would you help us to see the value statements that are being made here and that we make every day? And God, would we put you in the proper place in our life as the top priority? In your name we pray, amen. So as we look at this thing, everything is a value decision. And what what did Mary value more than that expensive perfume? celebrating, worshiping Jesus, right? We're talking about worship. We're talking about value. And this is, Mary did this. But as we, the interesting thing is if we read this story, it seems like the people's roles are out of whack, right? Because we've been conditioned over a couple of stories, and we're going to see these stories really briefly, but over a couple of stories about Mary and Martha, we've kind of been conditioned to kind of champion Mary as this, you know, right? The first story with her and Martha, and Martha's like, why isn't she helping me? And Jesus says, she's chosen the better thing. It's like, oh, Mary's so wise and so good. And there's this idea, and then when when brother Lazarus dies, you know, Jesus speaks to Mary, you know, actually Martha's kind of called on to it, and we're going to talk about that a little bit, but... 
Jesus' words to Mary were encouraging and they were kind of the last words he spoke before he looks at Lazarus and tells him, I mean, we've just kind of been conditioned to say that Mary's this kind of really, you know, person that we're going to champion. And, and we've also been conditioned over thousands of years that says, you know, Judas is this guy who that we're all just going to, it's like the, the villain that we all love to hate, right? That we're kind of pulling against is this guy, Judas. And then kind of Jesus is also obviously the hero of the story. And so all three of these characters, we seem to be a little out of whack because of what's happening here. If we look at the story on face value and we don't know anybody's intentions, Mary seems to be the person who's being pretty wasteful. I don't know if you guys know. Uh, I looked it up yesterday. I didn't know myself. Average salary in the upstate, average income for an individual is 31000 and some change. It's like just over $31,000, like 31108 bucks or something like that. So think of this. Like this is, in our day and age, this would be $31,000. And I didn't think that computed because I thought, who in the world, <laughs> that doesn't exist. There's no perfume that exists that costs that much. And I was wrong. Some of you are shaking your head because you know that. I was completely wrong. Uh, in fact, the, uh, the most expensive perfume is about $4,200 an ounce. $4,200 an ounce. Now, that's more than what Mary spent. I mean, if she had gone there, Jesus may have chastised her. Maybe. But the next, the second highest one is, I'm going to tell you what it's called. Did I write it down? It's called Christian something number one. I don't remember. It's actually the second one on the list, but it's called number one. Um... It's about 2150 bucks an ounce. And 16 ounces in a pint, that's about $34,000 a year. I mean, $34,000, which is about the average salary. So she would have taken that, it cost 2150 bucks an ounce, and just broke it on Jesus' feet, just wasted it on somebody's dirty, stinking feet. Now, we can get really spiritual and say, well, that was the Messiah. That was his holy, you know. They weren't glowing. They did not stink, right? Like, they're in the house now, so they probably have been washed at this point. But wasted on somebody's feet. And Judas stands up and said, couldn't this have been given to the poor? And we're thinking, yeah, sure could have. And there's a lot of poor people who could have used this. And this lady's wasting it. And it seems to be that Mary's, you know, Judas wins. Kind of Mary loses. And Jesus is a little bit kind of crazy in this because he's like saying, well, it's okay. I kind of like it. But we know that's not true because we're, you know, we believe scripture. We believe it. Everything that God does is right because he is God. And here God is in the flesh saying, hey, it's good. So what is that to tell us? Um, what do we do with a guy that's okay with just wasting $31,000 worth of perfume on someone's feet. But the blessing is Jesus gives us insight into Mary's heart and John gives us insight into Judas's heart. Because John lets us know about Judas's greed, right? John's the one who tells us he didn't even, he didn't even care about the poor. He was greedy. He was wrapping his own wants and desires in really good religious words, uh, caring for the poor so that he uh, seemed good, but he was really just trying to satisfy himself. And we do that a lot. <laughs> I've seen it happen in churches, man. People come up with like this really theological sounding, I mean, just wrap it in all these like Christian words to sound really good. And it's really just what they want. It's not 
may not be what God's saying you need to do, but it's like, you know, I don't like the preacher. He preaches too long, and so, and I'll wrap it up in this. Or I don't like the songs because it doesn't give as much glory to God as these, you know, they wrap this thing up, and it has nothing to do with, and this is what Jesus is doing. He's just wrapping this thing up to make it sound really holy and godly. And it's not at all who he is. But the interesting thing is that Jesus didn't accuse Judas's heart at all. Um, or he didn't accuse Judas at all. He just simply reminded him about some truths of the gospel. He said, hey, the poor you're always going to have with you, Judas. Uh, Jesus is kind of getting this a little bit from Deuteronomy 15. I figured you wouldn't want to flip the Deuteronomy, Bill. It is in there. Um, Deuteronomy 15, I do have it marked because it's easier for me to flip to John than it is to Deuteronomy 15, just to be quite honest. Deuteronomy 15, 11. Therefore, there will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you uh, to be open-handed towards your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy, in, who are the poor and needy in your land. And so, the scripture was taught, and Jesus wouldn't say that it was wrong to make this be a lifestyle that you have of helping the poor and the needy. But Jesus is also saying this should be your lifestyle, and they will always be here. So in a way, Jesus is telling Judas, like, you're never going to elevate uh, serving the needy by minimizing worship. In fact, it needs to get in the right priority. You know, if you're elevating worship, you are going to care for the needy, and you are going to do what's there. In fact, he said you're not going to elevate that by de-elevating worship because including the poor uh, and the rich and the short and the tall, all these people find their worth in Jesus. Their worth is is the one that we're worshiping, not in the fact that we're able to help them. Because even if we can't, their worth isn't in their condition, but in Christ. Jesus said, this is a child of mine. And that's where their worth lies, not in their bank account, not in their status, not in their prestige. And that's true for them. And that's, you know, Judas, the poor, you're always going to. Everything is completely level. Jesus said, you know, Judas, the poor, you're always going to have with you. You're not always going to have me. And she's choosing what is right. Jesus kind of tells us about her heart a little bit. Also, while proclaiming the gospel to Judas by saying it has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with their worth being found in me. The one who said they are worth everything. They are worth paying the ultimate price. Scripture said, greater love has no man than this, than that he lay down his life for his friend. And Jesus laid down his life for his enemies. He laid down his life for those of us who did not want to listen to him. We do not want to believe him. They do not want to say that we agree with and even think that what you're saying is true because what's true in my life most days is if I look at it and my worry tells me I don't really believe God has this. And my seeking comfort in whatever it may be is me saying that I don't believe God that you really do comfort me. That means trying to find joy in things other than what God wants me to find joy in is me just, it says, period of unbelief in, in my life. And it's a place where I need to turn and repent to God and say, God, I'm sorry. Thank you so much for sending a Savior, for saying that I'm worth so much more than just this cheap grace that I've kind of been able to sell it for. And so Jesus is saying it's not about behavior. 
And it's not instead of caring for the poor as a part of our worship, although that is a part of our worship, but sometimes we can get that backwards, right? And this is what Judas was missing. He's like, hey, we could have done this great thing. We could have sold this and given it to the poor, and then we could have had one of those big, Jesus, we could have had one of those big checks. And we could have a picture with it, right? And put it on the website because then people will see it and it'll actually say more good things about you. <laughs> and Jesus is saying, man, it's got nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with me. And so even when you give to the poor, it has to do with me. And sometimes we can get that in the reverse order. And we can say, hey, we love the fact that we're giving to the poor. We're going to celebrate that. And we're going to worship that. And that becomes our identity. At Mosaic, uh, we love the fact that we're a welcoming church and that we're a loving church. And that should be, that's great. That should never be what we worship or celebrate. Jesus should be what we worship and celebrate constantly. And we can so easily and quickly get that backwards. And they say, hey, uh, someone kidnaps me this week. And they give Natalie a call. And they say, hey, uh, Natalie, we got your husband. And uh, we'll give him back to you. Oh, he wants $100,000. And Natalie thinks to herself, so his life insurance is a million. So what if I give you $100,000 to keep him, to go ahead and kill him? I make more money. You get what you want, and everybody leaves happy. Like, why would I do that? And they're like, well, no, I don't really want to kill him. I really just want the, well, what do you take for him? She gets it down. It's about $35,000, $34,000. Okay, we'll just do that. So she gives him $34,000, and I get back. <laughs> and we say, well, that's ridiculous. Like, you just, like, that's all Friar's worth to you is $34,000? Like, he's worth more than that. But we can very easily look at this story and say, Jesus wasn't worth $34,000. So it's not even about context, really. It's about recalibrating our lives so that he is the one that we ascribe our ultimate worth to. And Jesus is the one that says, this is worth everything. Even if it means nothing goes the way I want it to do. Like the ultimate worth is following Jesus. And so we're going to look at three quick stories about Mary and Martha where we can see their hearts change. And the first story you're really familiar with, I alluded to it earlier, and we're just going to read it. It's just four short verses in Luke 10. Um, Bill, I don't even know if I have that in there. Oh, I do. Well, there, you don't even have to flip. It's Luke 10. It's the last four verses of Luke 10, five verses, 38 through uh, 42. And Jesus' disciples went away, and he came to a village where there was a woman named Martha, and she opened her home to him. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? You are worried and upset about her to help me. Martha, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. And Mary has chosen what is better and will not be taken away from her. That word things that Jesus mentioned, that is the Greek word diakonos, that's where we get our word deacons from. So sometimes it's translated deacons, sometimes it's translated ministry, sometimes it's translated things. Now you understand why we can argue about scripture and the meaning because they can mean different things. But Jesus is basically saying, Mary, I mean, Martha, 
you, you get distracted by so many good things. Like it wasn't like that was a negative word. Like that was the word that we actually pull our word deacons from. You get distracted by many ministries, by many good things. But Mary's chosen the one thing that is the best. And that is me. Worshiping me, she gave me more worth than she did this meal getting on this table. Or even the hospitality that you guys have been drilled into you your whole life. As a Jewish people that are supposed to do. You're supposed to be hospitable and that's been drilled in and there's scriptures surrounding that. That scripture in Deuteronomy, if you read all everything around it, has everything to do with being hospitable. But Mary's chosen the best thing. And so Jesus had to kind of correct Martha. And so the interesting thing is the next time we see Martha and Mary is when their brother Lazarus has died. And that's in John 11. So it's just one it's just one chapter before where we've been. And Lazarus has died. And Mary, they call for him, right? They know he's sick and they call for Jesus and it comes to Jesus and it comes to him too late. And he dies. And Martha goes running out to him when he comes and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But... I know even now that God will give you whatever you ask. Mary, I mean, Martha had learned not to get wrapped up in the details and the things, but to trust in Jesus and he had changed it. But, but Mary, Mary's this relational person, right? At this other party, we see her, she's sitting at Jesus' feet like she's trying to, and one of her people is dead and she is wrapped up in this. Mary doesn't even run out to meet Jesus when he comes. It was just Martha because... She was so relational, and her life has just been kind of ripped apart. And Martha comes to her and tells her, like, he's here, and he's just kind of reoriented the way that I look at resurrection, and so you should come. And when Mary heard this, she got up and quickly went to him, and Jesus had not yet entered a village, but was still at a place where Martha had met him. When the Jews, who had been with Mary in the house, comforting knows how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was, she saw him fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw him weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also, he was deeply moved in the spirit and troubled and said, where have you laid him? And so Jesus sees this woman kind of grieving this relation that has been broken. He's moved and he goes there and he raises Lazarus up. And a chapter later, here we are. Mary was stuck. Martha was stuck doing the things, right? Because that was Martha. Like her gift was just doing stuff. But she got it backwards. She got so confused. And she put Jesus, the things ahead of Jesus. But then Mary in this scenario, man, her thing is relationships. She loves relationships. And that relationship was broken. And now she's just racked. She can't. She had all the trust in Jesus earlier because she's sitting at his feet. She's just ignoring dinner being made and the house being clean. She's... She trusted Jesus for all of it. But when it came to a broken relationship, she, was, she couldn't do it. She's like, what's wrong with you? If you'd only been here, he wouldn't have died. And it moved Jesus, and Jesus showed her that he's got even that. And so when we get to this final party in John 12, we see all three siblings kind of moving in sync, right? Mary's now still serving. But she's got it in the right order. Like she's not trying to, she's a servant because that's what God's given her to do. 
So she's given 100 of herself to God. Lazarus now, like he's on the circuit. Like people want to see and talk to Lazarus. I mean, if you imagine, if you raise from the dead, people, you will be on Oprah. Or I don't, that's not still a show, I don't think. But whatever, it is, whatever the show is that people watch, you will be on that show, every show. You will, you will not be beholden to just Fox News or CNN. You'll be on all of them. Like they'll all want to talk to you. And here Lazarus is the center of attention. But he's really easy to just sit back and say, no, this is about Jesus. And Mary, who has been the kind of the center of Jesus' attention now, Lazarus is getting all his attention. She could have very easily gone in the corner and pouted and said, everybody's getting all this other attention and I'm not getting any. But that wasn't Mary's posture either. Her posture was to offer what it was that she had to the point where she wasn't worried anymore uh, but worship Jesus in the ways that she can. And it was interesting. There wasn't any jealousy or arguing or bickering amongst these siblings that we have seen this from before. They were all just moving in sync in this thing that looked like praise and worship to Jesus. But then there's this guy, Judas, who's so self-centered. Um, and Jesus call, he tries to call out Mary, but Jesus calls him out. And he says, don't even worry about that, what Mary's doing. Like she's so over this thing. Like she now completely trusts me. She had learned to trust me. She learned that even in death, I had it. So quit bagging on her, Judas. Like it's like she's over that. She's learned that she can trust me in everything. She's even preparing me for her burial and she loves me. And she's even willing to say, even if I lose you, it's okay because I can trust you even in that. One of the things that we can get from a story is that we don't need to belittle worship in order to elevate care for people. Care takes its rightful place when we elevate worship because people matter more than what we say they're worth. Because when we're taking care of somebody, we're now saying, well, here's what you're worth. You're worth this amount of time of my life, this amount of money. And Jesus actually said they're worth like everything. And when we can get worship and the care for people kind of in the right place, then we're actually going to be able to care even more because we see they're worth more than we even saw before because they're worth everything. Jesus puts a value on people that are greater than any value that we can place on them, which is hard for me to believe as a parent. And it's also comforting to know like Jesus cares for them even more than I do. Jesus cares for me in that same manner, that's kind of hard for me to believe sometimes. There's a guy named G.K. Beale who wrote a book. Uh, it's a book about idol worship in the Old Testament. Uh, so if you ever want to sleep at night, uh, if you have trouble falling asleep, it's a good book for that. It's called We Become What We Worship, a biblical theology uh, of, of worship. And one of the things that he says in there that resonates is we resemble what we revere either to our ruin or to our restoration. And we resemble what we revere either to our ruin or our restoration. And if we look at this story of Judas, his starting point was $35,000. Like he was saying like this is, or $31,000, like this is what it's worth. And within just a week, he was willing to sell Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. He was able to negotiate it down 
just to get something out of it, of 30 pieces of silver. He started to reveal what he was revering. And it was ultimately to his ruin. But when we look at Mary, it's the exact opposite. Mary revered relationships and she lost one of the people that was the closest to her. And now that Jesus is basically telegraphing his death and like saying like, this is what's coming. And she knows this. Um, Mary's able to say, I'm okay. I just need, because I have you. That I don't need to manage the outcome. I just need to pursue you. And so she was starting to resemble the one that she revered to her restoration. Jesus this morning invites us to see him in the right place in our life, which is number one. Sometimes we can say well, if it's in the top 10, it's probably pretty good. Like, all right, if it's top 10, like in top two, it's good, right? And Jesus is like, no, it's got to be what you ascribe ultimate worth to. Anything else is out of whack. And Jesus is so honest in what he tells us. He doesn't say, trust me and everything will be okay. He said, trust me and I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. So he walks through us with the, through the times where it's not okay so that we don't come to ruin. He's whispering his presence to us in a restorative way, telling us, you know, you're not crisis free, but you are crisis proof. And some of us this morning, as we come to the table and we look at communion, we can see the story of that I'm not worthy. And you're right. If you would think that about me, you'd be right. Truth is none of us are worthy. But our price has been paid. This extravagant gesture of God's love for us, speaking over us, telling us how much we are worth. And if that is reason enough to give God ultimate worth, to worship God in every way. And when you talk about worship in that way, isn't it silly just to reduce it down to a couple songs or one hour a week? That God who did everything and worship is just this? Like worship is the giving of our whole lives. And so over the course of this time, we're going to challenge that. Uh, we're going to challenge that idea that this isn't, it's more than this. Um, and so this morning as we come to the table, let's come with this idea that God is the number one place. Even if he's not, pray that God's Holy Spirit would move and convict your heart, show you what is above that, and that God would begin to help you rightly order that. If you come to the table and you don't see worth in your life, know that God has said that you are God put you as priority, right? Ascribed ultimate worth to us. The point he gave everything. And so you are worthy. And so you can come to this table very free. So we're going to pray. And I'm going to invite you to worship, to continue to worship God in multiple ways. You can come to the table. You can sit. You can stand. You can cry. You can kneel. You can whatever the Holy Spirit leads you to. And it doesn't stop when we end the song and it doesn't stop when you walk out the doors and it doesn't stop when you go to sleep tonight. So pray that God is constantly revealing to you ways in which you can ascribe ultimate worth to him. And where you're not, would you pray with me and I'll pray with you that God would convict you of that.
And we want to acknowledge that and give ultimate worth to God. We're also going to pray for our friends and neighbors. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and I'm going to pray for some of the things I know about. And I'm just going to be silent for a few minutes. And if you know of anybody else that is in need of prayer or any other prayers that you want to offer to God, just speak them out. And then after a period of time where there is an awkward silence, I will wrap that up, and we will transition into uh, one last song. So let's pray. God, we are... uh, We are humbled often by how much we or how often we blow it. Where we think we've got this thing not nailed and we are putting you in the right place and we're doing it and then all of a sudden we realize, oh, I'm actually giving more worth here than I am to you. I'm giving more worth to my time or to my privacy or to my work to our really good things. We wrap it up in really good language. I'm giving more time to my outreach endeavors. I'm giving more time to my family. Anything at all that we put above you is wrong and out of order. And so Holy Spirit, would you convict us and show us? Would you help us to put things in the right place as we seek to be a people who do worship you all day long and all that we do, acknowledging that worship is just putting you in the right place in our lives, that you take the ultimate position in our life, that you are number one. So God, we pray that you would reveal to us where you're not and help us to make those changes. God, in places in our lives where we feel that we're not worthy, we're not worthy to do whatever it is or to say whatever it is. Whatever, whatever area we feel unworthy, God, would, would you speak your worth over us? Would you help us to hear the gospel speaking through our lives that you did this. You loved first so we can love. You sacrificed first so we can sacrifice You cared first so we can care. You listened first so we can listen to others. God, whatever it is that we feel unworthy, God, would you speak your worth over us this morning? And God, we do lift up uh, Ramona. We thank you that the hospital came in time. We pray as the follow-ups happen, God, that there is a good course of action moving forward. God, that you would continue to care for her in the ways that, that, that you even did this week. God, we're laying in a hospital bed and with some breathing troubles. God, that you would um, bring healing to his body. God, would you bring healing to his mind? Would you care for him this morning in ways that even the doctors can't? God, we love you. And God, would you hear all of our prayers this morning? Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information, please visit us at www.mosaiceasley.org.